Welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in to What is Wellness. I am your host, Kristen O'Connor. I've been a private chef for the past 10 years, focusing heavily on wellness and helping actors and athletes achieve very specific body and health goals. Now I really set out on this quest to excavate what actually is wellness, listening to as many expected and unexpected members of this very diverse community of experts. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave comments. Today we have professional mountain biker Sonia Looney with over 15 stage wins across the globe and a 24-hour world champion title to her name. Sonia is no stranger to thriving and challenging and long events. She has a top-ranked podcast, The Sonia Looney Show, helps others with nutrition backed by her Cornell plant-based nutrition certification. She's also a health coach through Vanderbilt University's integrative medicine program and has her master's degree in electrical engineering. She also, of course, has several business projects, including her Moxie and Grit apparel line and Plant Powered Academy online community. Can't wait for you to hear what she has to say. Welcome, Sonia. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I don't even know where to start with you because you are a biomedical engineer, professional mountain biker, podcast host, apparel brand founder, and you have your own plant-based community. So there's a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. What seems like kind of ties all of this together is clearly a passion for health and wellness. So how did you really get started? Is this something you've done your whole life? You know, how did you arrive at this point? It's kind of like one of those things where you hear that quote, you can only connect the dots looking back. And I was always interested in health and wellness. Um, I would say like, as I got later into teenage years and the first thing I can remember, uh, like being thinking about when it came to health and wellness was reading women's health magazine. And I was reading women's health magazine at the end of high school and kind of in hindsight, I think a lot of the things in that magazine were actually not very good. It would be like, if you want to lose weight, eat only 1200 calories. And there was lots of important things in that magazine that I learned too, like eating vegetables is healthy for you and you need to sleep. Like there are important messages in health media, but there's also a lot of, and this goes for now, there's a lot of media out there, especially geared towards women that you need to be smaller. You need to eat less. You need to fit a certain, you know, size. Otherwise you're not enough. So that's sort of like, it was kind of a a weird dual place of, I learned some, some important things about health, but I also had this feeling of not enoughness and that sort of has been something I've had to work, work, um, on my entire life. And it wasn't just because of that magazine. And I'm sure tons of people can relate with that feeling of just never quite feeling like you're enough, but I was really interested in sports and I played, you know, soccer and tennis growing up. And then I got into running at the end of high school, which culminated in running a marathon And then I found cycling. So just through this entire process, how, you know, how to be a better athlete, like health and athletic performance are very closely tied. So my interest in health kind of started, I would say from that magazine, but also as, as a curiosity of how to be a better athlete. That's amazing. It's so funny that you talked about that magazine. It immediately flashed me back to being 16 years old. And my cousin who, my cousin, Kate, who is 10, little over 10 years older than me. I went to visit her in Colorado and she saw me reading those magazines and she was like, absolutely not. She was like, you, yeah. And she was like, I, you need to focus on like connecting with other people, like talking about where you want to go in life and, you know, building yourself up, but not trying to compare yourself to 
some ideal that's kind of mapped out for you. And every time I went to pick up a magazine after that, I thought about her voice in my head. So it's really interesting that you said that you didn't even get into mountain biking until you're 20, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got into it because I was going to the gym a lot. Like I'd go to the gym for a couple hours a day. I'd run to the gym, do workout just because I really loved using my body. And I go to spin class because I wasn't training for running properly. And I kept getting these, these weird injuries. So I would go to spin class to do some cardio. And then some guys at my work invited me to go mountain biking. And it kind of was a whirlwind. I went mountain biking and two weeks later I did my first race. And then I was all in and fast forward however long it's been like 18 years. And here I am <laughs> two weeks later, you did your first race. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it's cause I had done the marathon, like run, I had ran two marathons up until that point. So I just had confidence in my ability as an endurance athlete. And I had no idea what I was doing on the bike, but it just sounded like fun. And I was just open to it and I showed up and it was great. That's actually really amazing. And then from there, you, I mean, you are a world champion mountain biker. Well, you know, it's really important to just explore those curiosities. And that's sort of a theme that I've been pulling out lately in my life is I've done all these different things, but it was because I, I was brave enough to explore the thing that I was curious about. And a lot of times we wait for somebody to give us permission to try to be something or to try to explore something, or like, maybe you feel like your dream is stupid. My family thought that me wanting to become a professional mountain biker was stupid. And they even thought it was stupid after I became one. So we often look for, for people to, you know, validate that decision. And while it does help to have supportive people around you, there will be the naysayers. So I recorded a, a, a solo podcast episode recently and it was about picking yourself and how you just have to pick yourself and go after the thing that you're curious about because you just never know what could happen in your life. It's really so hard to do. And this is kind of what you're talking about. And, um, you know, even when you're talking about being a teenager and looking at those magazines, it's very, very hard, I think, to kind of get yourself out from what other people are telling you, society's telling you, family's telling you, and be okay stepping into exactly who you are, exactly what you want, and just going for it full steam ahead. I mean, I can say the same for me. Like, I wanted to be a chef when I was really young. And I remember talking to my family about it, and they were like, Well, do you really want to work in a kitchen? And not that they were unsupportive, because they really wanted me to do something that was fulfilling. But, and I, you know, ultimately went into art school. So <laughs> neither one of those were, you know, the very, the clearest path. But, I pushed away being a chef for a long time because I felt like I didn't want to work in a kitchen. And now here I am, you know, 20 something years later. And I, that's exactly what I do, but I don't work in a kitchen. You know, I get to cook all day and it's kind of like, because my passion and intention has gone in that direction, I've been able to sort of create these sort of different paths that I never would have imagined or even set forth for myself that many years ago. And you really, I mean, you're obviously an athlete and, you know, this world champion mountain biker, but you're also doing a lot of other things. So how has your personal growth through mountain biking really impacted the rest of your life and your career and choices? I think mountain biking is like one of those things, you know, it's like, you proved yourself that you can do something and then you wonder what else you're capable of doing. And by doing that, you just want to try more and more things. And then that confidence comes into other parts of your life where you start saying, well, I wonder what I can do over here. Or 
Um, in a mountain bike race, it's really normal to feel uncomfortable and sitting with that discomfort. And in our lives, when we make big changes in our lives or even small changes, being able to sit with that discomfort is, is really tough. And if you can do that, then maybe you can start finding out what else you can do. Sitting with discomfort is definitely one of the hardest things to tackle. And I feel like that's one of the, that's one of the pieces of advice that I wish I had gotten as a young child and really held on to, because there's so many circumstances where if you can really get into your own mind and body and just like sit with that discomfort and push through things that are really hard and, and uncomfortable, like starting anything on your own, starting a business is really uncomfortable. Yeah. Believing in yourself in, you know, the athletic space is really difficult and uncomfortable, but mountain biking in particular takes a lot of endurance and it's, you're also dealing with something that you don't have control over, which is the landscape that you're mount, that you're actually mountain biking on. But what does it take to really be an athlete at your caliber? It sounds simple, but it's, it's not easy and it's consistency. It's showing up day in and day out. And this goes for anything you want to do in your life. And if you want to find any level of mastery, it's, it's showing up, especially on the days that you don't want to. And sometimes, sometimes showing up means you just do five minutes. And if you're too tired and it's not the right day and there, there's wisdom in there to figure out if, you know, when you need to turn around or when you need to give up or whatever, but like just showing up and giving yourself a chance to perform and to be your best self and taking the time and having the grace with yourself to rest when you need it to. And I think that rest part is often left out a lot in our culture. It's like, just work super hard and like go hard every day and, and, you know, don't sleep and all these different things. And it's like, yeah, you need to work hard, but you also need to be able to rest because without doing that, you're not going to be able to find any level of high performance. I mean, absolutely. You have to get that energy from somewhere and also the motivation. I find that in a lot of different aspects of life too. I'm definitely a creative person and I love to create whether it's, I mean, I just taught myself embroidery this week. Like I'm just such a weirdo when it comes to stuff like that. And I find that if my output is too intense and I'm using that kind of part of my being for work and for pleasure and whatever, it just gets tapped out. And it is really important to sort of take a step back and be like, no, and I need to rest to be able to create. Having that mantra in your life, whether it's create or work or function or achieve, you know, that's such an important thing. But how did you actually train for this? What were the steps? So you, you got introduced to mountain biking. You went on your first race two weeks after your, you were introduced um, to mountain biking, which by the way, is so brave. Like I can't even imagine doing that. What was that like? And then how did you then take it to this crazy level where, you know, you're literally traveling all over the globe, mountain biking and racing and winning. Yeah. It's funny when I look back, uh, cause I don't remember being afraid of going to the race and to be honest, you know, a lot of people would assume, well, she must've just gone and done really well. And that's why she wanted to keep going. But I didn't, I didn't do really, really well. I finished the race, but I was pretty much the last person out there to finish because number one, I had no idea what I was doing. And number two, I was on a bike that was probably like the equivalent would be like a, a Walmart level bike. Like it's not a bike designed for racing. It's a bike maybe for like riding on the bike path, you know? Right. So it wasn't this amazing experience where I was instantly good at it, but I just loved it. I love the challenge of it. 
And I loved knowing that if I worked at it, I would get better. And I learned that from doing other sports. So I decided that I wanted to. So it was surrounding myself with people who were doing the same things. It was joining the UNM cycling team. And it was doing that thing I mentioned, showing up every single day, being committed to the process and looking for ways to always get better. And there were times, there, there are still times where I feel like quitting. And you can even be in the middle of a race, winning the race and still want to quit. And that's just part of the deal. And resilience and grit come from overcoming that feeling over and over and over. And quitting is a muscle, but so is not quitting. So it's been this long journey of, it was just not quitting over and over and over again and believing that if I kept working at it, something good would happen. And still to this day, I have to remind myself in all the things that I'm doing, I have to keep working. And if I keep working at it, then something amazing will happen. And there are times where it doesn't feel like something amazing is happening. It feels like you're stuck. It feels like you're going backwards. It feels like, well, maybe this is it for me. But I found that when you feel stuck like that, it's in those moments, it's so important that you just keep going. If, if it's still fitting your, as using your words, your passion and your intention and your values, if it's still connecting with those things, you should keep going because that plateau is going to give way to something amazing if you can stick with it long enough. It's interesting to hear you say that as somebody who has already achieved actually the highest level that you can in this sport. You won a world champion in mountain biking and you still say like, this is still a challenge. This is something that, you know, you're still working to achieve all the time. And I find that really fascinating because it's such an internal experience also. Right. So somebody looking from the outside would say, oh my gosh, like you've, you checked the box, like <laughs> you did it. You're, you're accomplished. You have proven yourself over and over and over again. That's such an amazing thing. And yet you're here saying, no, I'm still showing up. I'm still making the choice to show up and to work for myself for something that I believe in that powers me forward and that I enjoy doing gives you some gratification. And I've definitely been there in my life. I'm sure everyone has those moments where, especially when you're doing something that's sort of outside the box and you're really trying to put your passions and things that inspire you into a place where you're actualizing them in either, you know, an achieving way where you're competing or in a way where you're monetizing it, you know, you're growing a business. So for you, you're actually doing this in multiple categories of your life. You also grew a community for plant-based diets. So any of those phases, there comes a time where, yeah, you feel like you're not getting any traction or you're not getting anywhere. And you're just putting all your blood, sweat, and tears into this project that, is stagnating. Someone told me a while back, which a lot of people use this expression, but the people who succeed are the ones that just keep going. And I always play that in my head because like everyone else, I've had major, major ups and downs. I think I've had some like pretty significant ones in my career. And anytime I'm at that low point, I do say that to myself over and over again, the the difference between someone who succeeds and fails is that the person who succeeds just keeps going like against all odds. And sometimes those odds are inside of you. You know, those times where you just feel like, ah, that's it. I have to give up. I can't keep going. You know, sometimes that's inside. So when I ask how you got here, you, you can answer that question in so many ways. Like you could literally say to me, oh, well, I trained X amount of hours a day and ate this amount of food and did this meditation. But you're talking about a real like 
mindful connection to your experience, which I love. But there was also an element of food and exercise to it. Have you always been plant-based or at what point did you also as an athlete stick to that and make that a huge part of your life? Yeah. Before we go into the plant-based part, I, I want to just touch on something you said. Um, it was like, oh, you became world champion and you know, you had this achievement. And a lot of times we look at achievement as an end point. I'll be happy when I achieve this, or I've achieved this and now I'm good. Achievement is not an end point. It's just a data point, just like failure, just like working hard every single day. And if you think of like a graph, you mentioned my background's in engineering, so I'm a nerd and I think of things <laughs> in, in the, this way, but like, just think of a graph and it's like, which, like all the dots along the way, all those data points and which way are those dots trending? Are they trending in a direction that you want to go? Or are they not trending in that direction? And there's going to be the outliers. Like, I'm not saying that winning a world championship was an outlier, but I'm not going to be winning a world championship all the time. Like that, that's probably going to be a once in a career type of thing. And so it's not an outlier, but that's not going to be the general data point that I'm going to be looking at every single day. It's going to be like, what are my daily actions and what are those leading me towards? And sometimes you do need to change your process. Like you mentioned, sometimes you're like stuck and you're working towards something and it feels like it's not going anywhere. And that doesn't mean you should give up, but sometimes that might mean that your process needs to change, but it's looking at the big picture of what those data points are doing over time. And sometimes having a coach or, you know, a, a partner or a friend that can help you see the big picture can be really helpful whenever things are hard. So yeah. I'm sorry. I, I just really felt like, I no, I, on that. no, I think that's great. And I, and I love that perspective. One of the things that I believe is that a lot of that feeling of accomplishment and success really does come from inside and how you live each day of your life. And people look at my career too, and they're like, oh, you've been so successful as if it's like I said, like a checkbox, you know, and no, it, this is your entire life. It's a progression. Yeah, And even like how people define success, like a successful career where, well, what does that mean? Like there's lots of people that are making millions of dollars or billions of dollars. And it's like, well, th that person's so successful, but they might be completely unhappy. I mean, they might be really happy. They might be really unhappy or they might still feel like it's not enough. So I did a tech yep. talk on this. Like, how do you define success? And that was one of my first really big keynote talks. And I would probably do it a little bit differently now, but I said, success is defined by doing your best every single day, regardless of what your best looks like. Because at the end of the day, we want to feel fulfilled and we want to also feel like we're at ease. And that doesn't always occur whenever you're doing things, you know, making tons of money and like, it's great to make money. And I think that we all should try to make money, <laughs> but a lot of times we look at success as this number or a checkbox. And that's, that might not be what living a successful life might mean to you. And a lot of times we just let society dictate what success means to us. So I just challenge the listener, you know, today, just maybe think about like, what, what it, would it mean to be successful? And another question that I ask, I have a, a weekly newsletter I send out every Monday and there's a question of the week. And the question of the week one time was, what am I trying to feel versus what am I trying to achieve? Cause sometimes those are not in alignment, but you ask like, well, why am I chasing this achievement? If, cause a lot of times it doesn't we're feel trying, great. We're trying to feel a certain way. We're trying to achieve something so we can feel a certain way. Right. But if you can identify, and, and sometimes it will make you feel a certain way and that's awesome. But so, a lot of times you're trying to like achieve this thing to feel a certain way when really you don't even need to achieve that thing. You just need to pause for a second and figure out what it is that you want. And a lot of times it's, it's pretty simple what you need to do to get that feeling. I've always had this thought in my head about success just personally. For me, success is happiness. And you really, 
can't argue with happiness. Like if you're, if you are a happy person in your day, in your life, and obviously there's always things that come into play that can turn you upside down, whatever. But if you have that contentment of happiness, then the economics of life don't really matter. If you can really still go for a walk and fully absorb the beauty around you and the ability to move your body physically and all of those things. And that gives you satisfaction. Like to me, those things equate to success, to really be a content, happy human being. And I've always kind of had that playing in the back of my mind when, you know, we all, we have a tendency to compare ourselves to others and to get stuck in traps. But, you know, when you try to keep that perspective really firm, it gives you so much freedom, actually. What you just said about, um, you said contentment and you said, and then the examples you gave was walking outside and enjoying it or moving your body. And those things are what what's happening in the present moment. It has nothing to do with what somebody else is doing. It has nothing to do with what you've done in the past or in the future. That was exactly what you're doing in the moment. And we can't live our entire lives in the present moment, but connecting with that more does help you feel more content. Yeah. And it's, and, and a lot of times because of so much distraction and, and life, it's very hard to do. I mean, I had somebody who would teach me meditation. He said, you know, do you feel your feet on the ground? Which is a very weird thing to think about, you know, have I felt my feet on the ground today? And I think the answer is a lot of times, no, you know, you don't even feel the ground underneath you, how your shoes feel because we're so up in our heads, just ruminating about the past or planning for the future or being fearful of this or that, you know, trapped in our own web, our own storylines and not really actually grounding ourselves in the present. Obviously, like you said, there's, we, we have to do that sometimes, you know, we can't only live right here, but in those moments we do, especially in interaction with other human beings, I do feel for me personally, that that helps me align with what I actually want and what I actually need to do to get there instead of getting clouded in all this other nonsense that like kind of floats around and confuses the objective. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and now answer your question. Uh, <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I have not always been plant-based. Um, I've always been somebody that hasn't really loved eating lots of different animal products. Like I just never really liked the taste of certain meats and certain cheeses and always just being sort of health conscious that if I eat too much, it was more like if I eat too much of this stuff, I'm going to gain weight. And a lot of times people associate health and with like skinny or overweight. Like if you're skinny, you're healthy. If you're overweight, you're unhealthy. And that's, that's really not the case. I mean, it is healthier to be at quote, a, a healthy body mass index, um, just for general, like really, really general speak. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had never really thought about what health meant to me or, or just, um, bodily health. Cause I'm a health coach. So health actually enco encompasses a ton of different things other than, other than, you know, your appearance or your weight, but I found plant-based uh, nutrition in, well, I first heard of it in 2012. Um, I was at a mountain bike race in British Columbia in Canada. And I met my now husband at that race. Oh. And he was eating plant-based at the race. And I just had never really heard of anybody doing that. And I saw what he was eating and it was confusing. Like, how are you eating that and performing in this race? And why are you eating that? Like, why not just eat this other stuff? What was he eating? Do you remember? I know it was, it was just like beans and in and grains and vegetables, just stuff like that. Right. Um, but it was just like this huge plate of food. 
And he told me, well, there's this documentary I watched called Forks Over Knives, and it's about lifestyle diseases and how, you know, if you eat this way, you can prevent things like high blood pressure, certain types of cancers, heart disease. And I thought, well, I didn't know that you had any control over that. And that was actually a fear that I had was, well, I'm doing everything I can to be healthy, but I still feel like I'm just gambling and I have no idea what's going to happen in my future. And I was really afraid of, and I, I still am afraid of, you know, getting cancer or having one of these things in my life. Um, so, but I, I was still kind of like, eh, I don't know about this. So it took me some time, but I, I watched a documentary. I did a bunch of my own reading. I talked to some other people and then I thought, well, if this is true, like this is really important that I change my diet, but there weren't really many endurance athletes. And I didn't know of any elite endurance athletes at that time doing that. So I was a little bit nervous to change my diet. Cause I thought, well, what if I can't perform? I want longevity, but what if I can't perform eating this way? So I just gradually started shifting. I, I, it took me probably three months to fully make that transition and for some people, you know, they need to just throw everything out and make an overnight transition, which is what my husband did when he changed his diet. Some people never want to go hundred percent and that is totally fine too. It's just finding what works for you. But I found that things actually got better for me whenever I started transitioning my diet and I started getting faster. I started recovering better. And I went from just trying to get on that last spot on the podium to winning a lot more races. And I do oh. say that's because of my diet. Cause I had already been racing for, you know, eight, eight, nine years at this point. So this was a game changer for me. And it was something that I didn't talk about. I, I don't think I told anybody that I ate that way for maybe five years. Really? Was, yeah. Cause I didn't want anyone to feel like I was judging them because food is like a very, you know, sensitive topic. Um, you know, I, I had met other vegans that turned me off just, just, just by the way that they were communicating. And certainly that's a very small cross section of the community. Um, but I just didn't want people to feel weird about what I was doing. And I didn't want them to think that I was judging them. So I just never said anything. And then it got to a point where I was like, you know what? I just need to be brave and I need to talk about this because this is something that's important to me. And this is something that could help other people. And if they want to do it, then that's great for them. But I wish that I had known about it sooner. So if people want to know about it, I'll just put information out there so they can learn more. And if they don't want to do it, that's fine too. When you're doing a race or, you know, do you still run marathons or are you, are you primarily biking now? Um, I actually do quite a bit of trail running now. I trail run three, four days a week, but I haven't been doing any active races um, I'd like to do a marathon and also like a 50 K trail race in the future, but it's really hard to perform at that when you're focused on biking. So in yeah. the future, I'll, I plan to do some of that, but not in the near future. Not right now. Yeah. Well, you're still actively mountain biking so much. So what is your, what is your training like into um, physically? Well, right now it's a little bit different cause I'm pregnant. Um, Oh, congratulations. Yeah. And it's also been tough because, you know, we had our son, our first child, March, 2020, the start of the pandemic, haven't had any childcare since like, there's a lot of variables that have been right. thrown our way that we're making the best of previous to all of that. My training would be two to three hours a day of riding my bike. And most of that, I'd say 85 to 90% would be at an easy pace at a pace that, and, and this is the, like, in my opinion, this is the best way to train. The biggest problem that endurance athletes have, especially non-elite is that they go out and they just go as hard as they can every single time. And that is not the way to get faster. It's training your aerobic system, especially at lower intensities, and then saving that 10 to 15% to do high intensity work so that you're rested enough to push yourself really hard. 
and then you can recover from those efforts. Um, so yeah, my training would be probably like 12 to 15 hours a week of, of riding my bike. Um, I would race a lot. I'd start racing my bike in like almost year round. I would be racing like January to October. Um, but since the pandemic and having my son, things have changed a little bit. My training is more like seven to 10 hours a week. Cause that's just all I have time for. Cause my husband has to take the time off of work for me to train during the day, which isn't very much time. And then also like the energy, uh, a lot of times people think, oh, it's just, I just got to make more time. But if you have a lot of different inputs in your life, you need to manage the energy of those inputs as well. And if you're tired all the time out training, you're not going to really, you're not going to get faster. You're just going to wear yourself down. So it's finding that balance point of, you know, where can I show, like how, how much time do I need where I can show up to make the most of that training time, but not go backwards. And for me right now, that's seven to 10 hours a week, even while pregnant. Um, but I'm excited and, and optimistic about the future that we'll be able to get some childcare and that I can get back to my regular training. And I'm really looking forward to racing next year. It's not just the hours in the day. It's how much you're expending during those hours. So what does your nutrition look like? Do you change a lot on the days that you're training more heavily? Do the days that you're not training as much look different? How do you get your protein? Like what, what does your nutrition look like? My nutrition actually doesn't change a whole lot other than when I'm training more, I just eat more. Um, I never restrict my calories and I never am like truly thinking about weight loss. Whereas before I changed my diet, I would say that I was thinking about that stuff because there is a performative benefit to being a little bit lighter, especially as a cyclist going uphill. And I can tell you now, like I've gained like 12 pounds in pregnancy so far, and I can definitely feel that weight going up the hill. Um, but I just focus on like my daily actions and eating as healthy as I can, but also allowing room for treats. So I'll bring, I'll take you through a day in the life. It's really not, not that I guess elaborate, but breakfasts are normally, um, like steel cut oats with hemp hearts and, uh, ground flax and a little bit of maple syrup and some fruit. And I'll have a, you know, a large serving of that, like half a cup uncooked and then add all the other things. And I'll add some nuts in there. Um, on the weekends, we have pancakes every weekend and I actually have my own cookbook, um, the plant powered Academy cookbook. And we have our pancake recipe in there, but it's like whole wheat flour. It has oats. It has walnuts. Like it's has lots of different, um, calorically dense, but really tasty, tasty foods. And then normally I'll have like, uh, like I'll, I'll call it first lunch or you can call it second breakfast around 10 30 or 11. Cause I'm, I'm hungry. That's usually something pretty simple. It's like two pieces of toast with almond butter. And that's usually my pre-ride food. So I'll have that and then I'll go out and train. And usually I have sports nutrition products, um, like who's my sponsor. So I'll have like chews or gels because you need carbohydrates to fuel your endurance training. And that's another huge mistake that a lot of athletes make is they'll eat like higher fat items when they're out there training, um, or higher protein items. And you actually need that carbohydrate whenever you're out there training. And then when I come home from my training, then I come back and then I have a, a bigger lunch. So I'll have like, like today for lunch, I had, um, a tofu scramble with, uh, a bagel with avocado on it. And that was kind of like the lunch. Then I'll have like some fruit or a snack in the afternoon, or sometimes a couple snacks in the afternoon. And then dinner is usually something that we've made at home. Um, a variety of things. It could be like some sort of pasta dish with like tempeh tofu vegetables and a sauce. It could be something like lentil dal. I'm just kind of thinking what we've been eating as of recent. It could be like a, like a chili or like a, a stew or something like that. 
Yeah. And the biggest mistakes that athletes make is that they don't eat enough calories. So like a lot of times when people will change their diet, they'll say, well, I tried it and I didn't feel good, but it's because you eat bigger portions and you need to eat more. And a lot of times, like we're not accustomed to doing that because we're used to like trying to restrict our calories all the time and looking at a plate of food and saying, well, that's just too much. So it's, it's finding the right amount of calories for you. And if you're feeling sluggish, like maybe try eating a little bit more. <laughs> that's, it's, it sounds so logical, but it's so true. It's like, if you don't have energy, you get energy from food. <laughs> so that's where you, that's where you go back to. Yeah. What I was going to ask as you were going through your day was a lot of people ask me this question also when they're either just like getting into workouts, you know, when do I eat carbohydrates? When do I eat protein? Everyone gets sort of confused about that. And it also kind of depends on, I mean, I'll let you answer, but it does depend on the type of carbohydrate also. So you were talking about having oatmeal, which is a complex carb. You have a lot of fiber in there with the hemp hearts and the flaxseed. And that's a good thing to have a couple of hours before your workout. Right. And then, mm -hmm. so do you plan that a bit more, you know, in terms of recovery and, you know, what's good for your muscles, what you need for energy, for endurance and things like that. Yeah. And, um, just a shout out for people, if they're curious, like I have a book that I wrote, it's an ebook called sports nutrition, one Oh one that you can get at moxieandgrit.com answering all of these questions. Cause people had all these questions. Yeah. Like the closer you get to your training, the more simple you want to go with your carbohydrate. So like within an hour before you want it as simple as possible. You don't want to be eating tons of fiber just because yeah. what happens is like this fiber is going to like go into your gut and then your gut's going to need all this blood and then you're not going to get blood to your exercising muscles or maybe your stomach shuts down. So you want to go simple, but two to three hours before you can eat a meal, um, and having complex carbohydrates in that meal is a good idea. Then if you need a snack before, try and make it more simple. And then afterwards you need to eat as soon as possible. Like some people go for a shake or a drink. I like to eat real food after a ride because I just like eating. And a lot of people reach for a shake if they don't have time to eat or, you know, they're in a place where they can't get to real food, but getting in some calories, getting in some, some, uh, carbohydrate to top off that glycogen immediately following is important. And also getting that protein so that you can, um, repair your muscles and then just continuing to eat healthy, whole grain, whole food items, you know, throughout your day. And the night before an event is another, um, another one. It's like, you'd want to be eating tons and tons of fiber. It's okay to have some fiber the night before an event, but you don't want to be eating like a huge salad the night before an event. Like, and that's when I would tend to go for like a pasta with tofu and a sauce, maybe a little bit less vegetables than normal, but you want to be eating vegetables because, and, and all these good foods, cause they're anti-inflammatory and that's, what's going to help you recover for your next workout. So when would you eat the vegetables? Like at, after your workout with your protein, would that be the most ideal if you're exercising at a high level almost every day? Yeah, for sure. Or, you know, several hours before your, uh, your training and also the intensity of the training matters. Like it's very nuanced and there's not just like one formula um, but the higher the intensity, like the more simple you want your carbohydrates to be, because your body's not going to be able to be digesting very easily. It's going to be digesting, you know, really simple carbohydrates to use as fuel. I think that helps a lot because it does seem super complicated. And what are a couple of examples of simple carbohydrates versus complex carbohydrates? 
Yeah. So complex carbohydrates would be like, if you're eating brown rice, if you're eating, you know, farro, you're eating, even for some people, whole grain bread is even too much for me. Whole grain bread works for me. There is, um, I think there's like six grams of fiber per piece of bread, but that works for me. But some people will go for like a white bread with like a nut butter and like a jam or something like that. Or you could do pancakes with, um, syrup on it. Like that's more simple. So simple, more of a simple carbohydrate is, it doesn't have the shell on it. It's like white rice would be a simple and the shell on the food is what, where the fiber comes from. So the difference between brown rice, brown rice and white rice is that the shell has been taken off and that all the fiber has gone. Yeah. Okay. And so your body has an easier time digesting that and using it as immediate energy. It's, it's, it's available right away. And then that helps you fuel. You talk a lot about personal growth. You know, we, we were saying that at the beginning, what do you feel has been the most transformative aspect of your experience as an athlete and then how that's transformed you in your life? It's changed over the years. I would say the first thing was actually reverse engineering. What was making me successful, something I was already doing, but didn't realize like the mechanics of it. And that's practicing optimism. Um, a lot of times we can look at a situation and we tell, and we tell ourselves a story about that situation. And some of us are more biased towards the negative and there is a genetic component to, um, positivity, but there's also environment and there's also training your mind. So some of us are more biased towards focusing on the negative. And in fact, there's something called the negativity bias, which back in the day, you know, way back when we're taught to look for the negative so that the next time something comes up, we might not die. <laughs> right. So we're, we're biased towards that, but I realized that, you know, I'm generally an optimistic person. There are times where I mentioned, like, I feel like giving up or I feel frustrated or I feel down. So it's knowing what those tools are, knowing that I can pause and I can look at a situation and say, okay, like, what are the facts? What, what is the story that I'm telling myself? And is it true? And that's something that you train. Um, and it, it's not something that you want to wait until things get hard to start working on. Another thing that I would say has been transformative for me is letting go of perfectionism and always working towards, and I say this because this is a practice, it's not something I'm ever going to fully conquer, um, decoupling achievement with self-worth. Because I felt, especially growing up, that if I can be perfect at something and that if I was achieving, then I was more lovable. And we're rewarded for achieving. Like we get more likes on Instagram if we, you know, yep. achieve something or, you know, people make a big deal about it. People don't make a big deal about the small daily things that you're doing that might not be as, um, spectacular. So that, that self-compassion piece is how you do that. It's like, I, I am perfect the way I am today. I'm doing the best with what I have today. And honestly, becoming a mom has been the best, um, accelerator in that growth for me because I, I beat myself up for sure. Like just like everybody else, but I have had to have the grace with myself with through this pandemic, through having children, child without that, there is no way that I would have been able to keep going. And now it's like, I, I have a, give myself a lot more grace and I get, I give myself a break. And that doesn't mean that I don't have big goals and I'm not working super hard. Those are not dual things. Like I can be, have self-compassion and give myself a break and I can also be striving really hard for something. So finding out that I can do that and um, looking at myself in the mirror and, and looking at myself with kindness instead of shortcomings or just avoiding it altogether, those things have been really powerful and transformative. Do you have any 
daily rituals that maybe are a little bit obscure or that people wouldn't necessarily think of, whether it's like mantras that you tell yourself, journaling, I don't know, reading tarot cards. Like, Is there anything that you have in your day that sort of helps you to reinforce these areas of personal growth that you have conquered and developed over the years? Nothing that's like super quirky, but I'm definitely um, dedicated to learning and it sounds like you are as well. So like, I love a meditation practice that also involves insight, not just like following the breath, but there's insight before and after and learning. So I try to do that every single day. I take many mindful moments during the day where it's like, I check in with myself and I check in with my self-talk and like, what, what story am I telling myself right now? Am I, you know, am I being realistic? Am I being, um, am I being optimistic? So like, that's something that I do every single day, multiple times per day, that check-in. And it's not like something that I set an alarm to. It's just when I'm out through my day, I just remember to pause and do that. Um, I do have lots of mantras that I like that I don't like look in the mirror and say them. And I don't, you know, constantly like, I'm not constantly saying them to myself, but whenever I'm in these challenging situations where I mentioned if the self-talk isn't what it should be, that's when those mantras come in. And I actually, this, I get to design my own cycling kit and I actually printed them on my cycling kit because that's tends to be, um, when, when I'm thinking about things the most. And the last thing that I do daily is that I listen to podcasts or I read, I read books or audiobooks that help me learn more and continue to reinforce these habits that I think are so important. And education is, is so important to me and being able to continue the journey of understanding myself better so that I can help other people understand themselves and guide them um, to living their best life. Like that, that's something that I do every day. I mean, I think the idea of a continuous exploration of ourselves is so important and to be open to that, you know, and I, I do the same thing in terms of listening to podcasts and audiobooks, And I love exploring and learning because there's always something new around the corner and it's just very enriching and it does open you up to be able to be there for other people and help guide other people in a more holistic way. So and that's hearing amazing. other people's stories reminds you that you're not alone. Like number one, a podcaster's questions might provide you some time or insight. Like, Hey, I've never thought about that question before. And then hearing the guests, you might relate with that person in a way where you're like, yeah, I feel that too. And you thought maybe you were alone or that not many people felt that way. And then maybe they articulated something that you already knew deep down or something you think about regularly, but just the way that they said it resonated with you in a different way than when it was said just slightly differently the day before. I have forced myself through even just having my own podcast to share personal stories with the people that I'm talking to, because it's difficult to put yourself out there and to, to share stories, even when they're not like that deeply personal. But I think that connection to other people and hearing everyone's individual stories, how people got where they are, the struggles they've had and how they've over overcome them really does help you stay focused and move forward and feel confident in your own abilities also. Well, I always ask this question at the end of my podcast, but what is wellness to you, Sonia? I like this question. Um, I don't have a short answer for this. Go for it. We want to hear it. <laughs> I guess my, my short answer would be showing up as my best every single day. And that best might be different one day to the next and giving myself the self-compassion and the credit 
that, Hey, like this could look different on a daily basis, but wellness to me involves a lot of different categories. And I think the foundation of wellness is actually sleep because if you're not sleeping, you can't show up to make decisions that are going to impact you. Like you can't, it's very difficult to make decisions about, about the food that you eat, having the energy to exercise or to even exercise in a way that's going to bring you, you know, benefits. So you can get stronger. If you're not rested, if you haven't slept, um, it's going to be really hard to show up in relationships the way that you want to show up. It's going to be really hard to have that mindfulness piece and work on your, your mental skills and your mindset. So sleep is number one, um, in your foundation. Number two, I actually would say working on, um, learning what's going on between your ears, like learning what you're thinking, learning what your, what your tendencies are so that you can have, you know, a growth mindset, you can have, um, grace with yourself so that whenever you do want to make changes in your life or go after challenges, whether it be changing your diet and making decisions about your diet to, you know, maybe starting your own business to just, it could be something really simple to going for your first run. Like if you don't, if you don't have that basis, um, of optimism, of curiosity, of just knowing yourself, then it's going to be really hard to do those things, um, and to stick with them. So yeah, I have, I've actually written down what I think the foundation of wellness is and it's sleep, then mindset, then, um, the other things, but they're not, they're not mutually exclusive. They are all interconnected. Um, changing my diet wasn't just about like, it was initially about physical health, but that's impacted mental health has impacted mental clarity. It's impacted lots of different things and things that I probably can't even articulate or detect in the world. So not to say that these things are not interconnected, but to put yourself in a situation where you can make these decisions and it comes from being rested and it comes from, um, having the awareness to make decisions and, and, um, these changes in a way that's going to be sustainable and in a way that's going to be fun. The days that I get a really solid night's sleep the next day, I feel so clear and capable. It's unbelievable. It's such a restorative. I mean, it's clearly necessary, but it's such a restorative thing that we that we all need. And a lot of people really struggle with that. Do you have any, just before we wrap up, do you have any advice for people who struggle with sleep? Make it your number one priority. I mean, (laughs) I know that there's, there's a lot of challenges. There's a book called why we sleep by Dr. Matthew Walker that people might really like to read. Um, if you're actually having trouble with sleep, but a lot of times we don't make sleep our priority. One, one more Netflix show, one more chapter of this book, uh, one more alcohol, you know, one more drink, like drinking really messes up your sleep. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll just like, we, we don't make sleep our number one priority. And I've always made it my number one priority because I know how important that is. And as an athlete, you, you need to rest, you need that sleep or you won't be recovering. So number one, ask yourself, okay, I'm saying that sleep's a priority, but what are my actions telling me and how do I have that discipline or how do I create environments so that it's easy for me to prioritize Um, and then number two is like sleep consistency, like going to bed and waking up at the same time every day and allowing yourself enough time. People are different with what their sleep needs are, but like, you know, eight hours, seven, somewhere in seven to nine hour range is going to be good. Um, but staying consistent with that, because if not, like that's going to be really tough to show up as your best. That's great advice. Where can everybody find you? I know you have a lot going on, but what is the best way for 
everybody who's listening to learn more about you. Yeah, we actually just relaunched my website. So we're pretty excited about that. It's sonyalooney.com where you can find everything um, for daily stuff. My Instagram is probably the best place to go. And for weekly stuff, my podcast, The Sonia Looney Show, and then my weekly newsletter that comes out every Monday. And that's sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. And my Instagram, Sonia Looney. <laughs> that's important to know. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I feel very enriched by our conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you, Sonia. And thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, and of course, share. Have a great day, everyone.